What's up, y'all? Happy Sunday. I'm really glad we already started off with like some very human elements of church. Um, makes it easier for me, I think. <laughs> Eases the tension a little bit. Um, so I wanted to start off with the activity this morning. Um, and we're going to do a lot. I mean, it's small crew today, so we'll, we'll have a lot of back and forth. Um, I'd love to hear from y'all. Um, you know, over the last couple of years, I feel like in the news we've heard about a lot of different people of interest or celebrities that have kind of fallen from grace. Um, I'd love to hear from y'all if you've ever had anyone in your lifetime, whether it's someone close, like a person that you really looked up to, or someone who, maybe not idolized, but someone who you admired what they had done in their life, and something came out about them, or, or something got out, that just like, man, I can't look at them the same way anymore. Um, I'd love to hear if y'all have anything like that. We're going to kind of hit a little bit of that today, um, if we put ourselves in, in some of the people's shoes in the text can be anything. can be an athlete, can be a singer, comedian, someone who's on reality TV. doesn't really matter. <laughs> no, it can be like your mom. I don't know. <laughs> So, like, did it make you kind of question everything that that person had said a little bit? Or did you, were you still able to separate that and still take the good with the bad? I, did, I prayed a lot about it, and I, I did take away the good from him, but also then questioned, you know, like, why, maybe that's why he went to work in middle school, or maybe that's why mm-hmm. he wanted to do these field trips, and um, part of how do you, yeah, appreciate the good that came from that, which was I got a great job and found someone who inspired my creativity. Anyone else? Wonderful conversation on the way home. 
song, we talked about some religious things, and just his uh, stance on this one issue just just took me off guard that uh, it didn't seem as loving and gracious as I definitely was wanting it to. And for for me to reconcile that this person that's super loving and gracious wasn't always. Or was just a human person, was normal, no longer like an infallible hero to me. Very, very difficult. And, and I remember thinking like, why do I disagree with him? I'm crazy for disagreeing. Maybe I shouldn't disagree, but wanting to hold that, and it was very strange. It was a very strange car ride for right. hours. Yeah. I mean, did it kind of, at any point did you start to think in that, like, well, maybe he's right? Or am I looking at it wrong of because course, you looked at course. him, looked up to him so much? Of course, that was, I mean, not in the argument. I, it wasn't an argument. It was just us going back and forth a little. And I was trying to, like, listen and learn. And also just that unshaking, like, ooh, I just, I just like this. This is so distasteful to me for whatever reason. It was really hard. Um, especially when I saw them, like, the way they lived their life very well. So many other groups of people, like, they were, you know, they weren't, like, East Texas racist minorities or anything like that. It was just this one issue where I was, yeah, it was very interesting. Right. So he has things that were loved about him, things that are like, oh my gosh, no. But so do I. So it was just, it was hard for the time. Right. And, and I think it kind of speaks to <clears throat> when we see someone that's of a certain stature and, and they do a lot of great things, that we tend to elevate them maybe above where they should be elevated to, right? So like for me, um, I'm like super obsessed with stand-up comedy. Um, the clean stuff and some of the not-so-clean stuff. Uh, <laughs> but I, I grew up listening to Bill Cosby. And that really hurt. Really, really hurt me. Um, when some of that stuff came out. Um, it's a lot of stuff. And that stuff had been going on well before I had even heard of him. We named a pet after one of the characters on his TV show. <laughs> um, and so I think what was challenging for me in all of that was trying to sort through, like, well, all of my laughs just, like, fake? Like, you know, was, was that... Is that even real? Like, was, was that just a character he portrayed? And he portrayed this you know, really clean guy who extolled the virtues of being a, a faithful husband and all these things that he was the opposite of. You know, he, he did so much good for education in Philadelphia and wanted to be a really good example for African-American fathers and what it looked like to be that. And it's almost like there was a certain level, I think, in my mind, of what I've heard of the term moral licensing, where you do a lot of good and it allows you to kind of have this mentality that, okay, well, I guess I can do a little bit that's not and it's still fine because everyone still looks at me this way. 
I'm still doing all this good that's out there. Maybe I can slip a little bit. So I'd love for us to just kind of keep that in mind as we go. We're going to see a point uh, in the text today where a group of people is going to realize that Paul and Barnabas are, well, in their mind, not exactly what they hoped they would be. So as we picked up from last week, uh, we saw Paul and Barnabas were, were teaching out in Iconium. They were uh, in this group of, of people out there that was diverse. There were Jews and Greeks there. Um, there were uh, instances of division where a lot of the teachers of the Jewish people sought to divide the people that were believing and not believing what Paul and Barnabas had to say about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They decided to persevere and stay there and, and be present in the midst of that so as to create unity. They continued to heal and do a lot of good things there. And then things just escalated and escalated and escalated and there were threats on their life which caused them to leave. And where they left to was a place called Lystra, which is essentially the next town over. They didn't flee and go all the way over to Australia and and go across the world. They just went to the next town. So um, keep that in mind as we dig into the text today. So we'll be in Acts 14, 8 through 18. If we want to pull it up on the screen, um, we'll pick back up there. So just... Remember, they're literally one town over. It's Austin, Pflugerville, Round Rock type thing. In Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Stop there. It's not a whole lot of of words, but we'll stop there. Um, One of the things in talking last week I thought was important that Austin brought up really early on um, was about where Paul and Barnabas were teaching. And so we see a, a very distinct difference and where they're at in Lystra compared to Iconium. Who, who remembers where the first place that Paul and Barnabas was, went to um, when they went to Iconium last week? Synagogue. Synagogue. It's, it's, it's possible that they were at a synagogue, I guess, in Lystra here, but Luke doesn't mention that like he did for Iconium, and that was a really important piece that he mentioned there. And we'll see later on next week that they probably were just in this group of people in this town. So they're not at a synagogue, which, I mean, probably means that there's not a whole lot of Jewish presence in the area. Otherwise, that's where they would have went. That's kind of their, their home as people of the Jewish faith that were raised in that. They would have been comfortable there, but they didn't, it appears, go there. 
but they continue to heal and do miraculous things. Um, so whether they're at a synagogue, whether they're just in a random group of people, they're still doing a lot of the same stuff. And one thing that's really interesting to me here is Paul's words are very, very similar to those of Jesus. And the story that sticks out in my mind um, when, when Jesus is traveling along the road on his way to heal um, encounters a woman who had been bleeding her whole entire life um, who touches Jesus' cloak and Jesus immediately says, oh, the power has gone out of me. Um, who touched my cloak? And this woman states that and she, she does and um, he, he turns to her and says, your faith has healed you. And she gets up and goes and is immediately cured. Um, here it's interesting, Paul is giving a talk in front of this group of people and while he's talking, he immediately, just out in the crowd, sees some guy who's crippled um, and sees that he has faith to be healed. And so immediately he stops and, and says, get up, walk, your faith has healed you. And so there's this power, there's this beauty of the Holy Spirit that's bringing those two people together and connecting them. Um, for something miraculous for the Lord to do. So let's keep going um, in, in Acts 14, 11 through 13. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lycodonian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bowls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. I'm going to stop there. It's kind of hard to make like a present day connection to that. I don't think we have people calling us gods ever when someone does something miraculous. I think in our culture we, we really think of that. But in the time that was the worldview. It was a, a polytheistic worldview where they were. Um, so any history buffs out there that know the God of Zeus and the God of Hermes and, and what they were and what they meant and, and what people they kind of ruled over. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So like in this group of gods and Greek gods, right? Um, Zeus is kind of the king of all the gods. Hermes is the messenger of the gods and brings the word of the gods to everyone. And so like, kind of thinking through it, I'm equating it to like, all right, well, this is, this is the president and the press secretary. 
And that's kind of the, the group and the people here, um, similar to what we kind of think about in our society today. Um, and so I thought it was really interesting um, that Paul and Barnabas are, are treated as gods. It's really similar to a story that we just had a couple months back um, with another character. And we'll, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But why, why do you think that this group of people who did not have any connection to the Jews, they, they, we don't have any knowledge that there was a synagogue there, we don't have any notion that this was a group of practicing Jews, chances are this is a group of Greeks that believed in Zeus and Hermes that would proclaim them to be Zeus and Hermes. Why do you think that they would call them those two gods? Out of the hundreds and hundreds of gods that they had, why, why do you think that that would be important, that those were the two? there's a, you know, there's a God of gods, you obviously want the number one. <laughs> and, and having a speaker is, is important. If, if the God of gods isn't going to give his words directly, they have this, this view that it takes someone to intercede in order to deliver that message. So it was interesting in, in doing some of the, the the legwork this week and kind of looking into why they might have thought these two were people um, that that were actually gods and not who they said they were. There was actually a really popular writing and poem by this dude named Ovid, who I've never heard of. Um, he's not he's not one of the the major thinkers in in Greek history. But he carried a certain kind of popularity with himself and his writings at this time. And so popular that he almost kind of outweighed the ruler of the time. And he was actually, um, and people don't know why, he was uh, exiled um, because of his level of popularity over Caesar. And Caesar didn't like that, and so wanted to get him out of the way so that he could restore his popularity among the people, which is probably the opposite of the things that you would want to do as a king and a ruler. You probably don't want to get rid of someone who's super popular. But Ovid wrote this, this interesting poem, uh, and it, it's called Metamorphosis, where he talks and tells this tale of 
Zeus and Hermes coming down from the heavens to visit this town um, and talks about they come to this town disguised as just random peasants seeking welfare, seeking help, and, and as visitors. And the entire town don't, don't recognize the two of them. They're, they're not even remotely thinking that these could be gods. They, they think that um, they're just exactly as they present themselves to be. And so when all of these people reject them, there's one couple, uh, this husband and wife, they take them in and host them and say, hey, you can come to our place, we'll eat, and we'll cook for you, and we'll, we'll share a table. And as they're cooking, the two gods reveal themselves. They take off all of their, their garb and, and present themselves as Zeus and Hermes to these people. And they immediately fall down and worship. Um, start praising them. Have mercy on us. Uh, we're not worthy of your presence. And what Zeus and Hermes do is they set aside these two individuals as, as holy and as like gods. Um, and give them an enshrinement in the city. And, and say that they'll, they, they won't necessarily have eternal life, but they'll have a, a symbol that people in generations and generations and generations to come will recognize and, and will testify to their, their goodness and their welcoming of the gods. And then what Zeus and Hermes do to the rest of the people is they, well, flood the town and kill all of them. And so with that in mind... And the level of popularity that this writer has at the time, I have to think that these people aren't necessarily just trying to just randomly worship these two for their good and mighty works that they're doing, the healing that they're doing, the teaching that they're showing. They're doing it out of fear. They think that they see something that a God would do, their words and their actions. This is something that our gods and our, our rulers would do since we don't want to get flooded and we don't want to die, we're going to fall down and worship you and, and hedge our bets that you're Zeus, you're Hermes. You know, I, I don't know why they called Barnabas Zeus because he didn't do the healing or the teaching here. They just probably fit it into their own worldview and said, well, that's Hermes because he's talking. That must make him Zeus because he's just standing there and looks awesome. And they do that. Um, and so I'm thinking, like in our minds, we don't really have anything that's contextually similar to that in our present day. But these people in the midst of the Holy Spirit are captive of their culture and the norms and what society impresses upon them. And that takes weight and takes precedent over the Holy Spirit and the Word that Paul and Barnabas are actually teaching. That they're trying to take this word that they have and fit it into their own way of viewing the world. Similar to how you or I, we may have various beliefs about how the world works, you know, have different political views and, and, and disagree in various ways and want to fit certain verses of Scripture into that worldview to back up our point. 
so that we can feel good about how society views us. And so we see a really interesting response from from Paul and Barnabas after they say this. So y'all remember another time where we saw, it's actually last time that I spoke, where we saw someone worshipped as a god and, and how that played out. And who, who, who was that that was worshipped as a god? King Herod, right? And what happened to King Herod? Worms. Worms. <laughs> kind of the worst. <laughs> kind of, he, he got worms and then he died. Um, people, people worship him. They see his robes. They see that he's shimmering and shining in the sunlight. And they immediately fall down and worship him and treat him like a god. And he just kind of sits there and is like, that's kind of cool. I like that. And that's the end of Herod. Paul and Barnabas react differently because they know that complacency towards that thought and that feeling is not good. And so their response very well may be in the same way that the Greeks responded to them by thinking about that they were Zeus and Hermes because they didn't want to die. Paul and Barnabas may have responded the same exact way because they're like, well, we saw what happened to Herod. We probably, probably should act differently, but it's awesome to see how they respond. So back in verse 14, but when the, apostle, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. So the first thing that the apostles do, right, in this is tear their clothes, which none of us would do that ever. That's kind of weird, right? Um, so it's actually... A, a Jewish ritual of mourning. Um, y'all heard of the, the week of grief that follows a death um, in, in the Jewish faith called Shiva. And part of Shiva is this symbol of sorrow, which is Kyria, which is the tearing of garments. And so my initial reaction when I was reading this was, oh man, they had to be pissed, right? Like, they hear, we're teaching you this word. This is 
God in the flesh of Jesus Christ and moving forward with the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of heaven is at hand now. And they continue to treat them as their own gods and continue to remain in their ways. I would be really upset. And these people who don't have the same Jewish background and so probably don't observe the same rituals and customs as them may not understand what Paul and Barnabas are doing in the moment. But they're exemplifying a symbol of sorrow and sadness. Which I was like really moved by this week. I know that whenever I put myself out there and I'm talking with folks who may not believe for valid reasons or, or completely invalid reasons, and I bear my soul and I share the word and it's just like, nah, I'm good. It doesn't make me sad, it makes me angry. And I have to, in this text, I can't help but think about Jesus and his soul and his spirit as he's moving about his ministry, talking about his lost sheep as a shepherd, talking about them compassionately and caring about them, not viewing the world as a world of of wickedness, but viewing the world as one that needs saving and one that needs help, one that needs a doctor because they're sick. And we're a part of that story. We're a part of the sick. And we're going to get more into what happens after this next week um, when we finish out in Acts before we, we move on into... Uh, another time uh, of teaching. But the last thing that's said here is that they continue continue to sacrifice to them as if they were their own gods. That's after Paul and Barnabas say, turn away from your worthless idols. They still continue to sacrifice in their own own ways. And it's this idea of perseverance that we saw last week that the apostles continue to stay despite the division. They're continuing to stay and they're going to put themselves in harm's way really, really soon. That it's not just one conversation with someone. It's a, it's a perseverance. It's a a commitment to others. It's a commitment to other people knowing that all of God's creatures are his flock and he desires all of us. And that's to be our desire. And when we're met with hostility, maybe our response, maybe our response should be a response of sorrow um, and, and a pressing into that 
as opposed to, I know in my own heart, it's anger and frustration and clearly the world should be this way. There's so much ill out there. We see all the injustices in this country and the injustices that this country does to others out there. We see all of these social movements um, that sadly come and go. You know, we, we had, um, you know, the 1% movement. That's long gone. Sadly, the Black Lives Matter movement is no longer in the front of our press as it is today. The Me Too movement, I, I want it to change stuff. I really do. It's probably going to come and go. I think that God cares about his sheep. His love for us is enduring. And it's important that we look to him rather than extol these movements that will put God into them. He should be shaping our hearts in and outside of that. I'm, I'm sorry. It, we have so many guys at this church and you know, I've seen the way some of us here and, and outside of there, we, we just talk about women and it's, it's not just the actions that are physical against women. It's the deep-hearted thought towards y'all. It's not okay. Us who, you know, have finances and say that, oh, sure, like my, my time is hard. I got a lot of funds and I got a lot of expenses and this is just a time. A lot of people with a lot harder times. And do we put up a sign in our yard that says we do something and we care about something and we love a certain people, but then we go in our days and just do the same old routine? Do we walk past people that are hurting and not stop to care for them as if they were our own lost sheep? I do. be my, my hope and prayer that we would let God through his spirit completely transform the way we think about our world. Completely change how we view things. That we wouldn't just put things that we like on Facebook as our way of showing the world what we care about. 
that it be in the big and the small, that in our time with our neighbors who don't have as much as we do, that we would cherish them. And when they tell us that out of the goodness of our hearts, what we've shown them is something that no one's shown them before, maybe point to this. That we would say, hey, you know, I'm just a dude, just a girl. Like, we aren't anything special, but Jesus, through his word, motivates us to do more. That's my hope, and I know we're going to fall short, and I know we're going to have a tough time, and life is hard, and things get in the way, and it's just going to happen. It's my prayer that as a church we'd have those conversations with each other, that we'd be open to embracing the difficult, caring about our brothers and sisters, loving all of those around us, even those people that frustrate us because they believe differently than us inside and outside of our faith. So would y'all bow your heads with me um, and we'll, we'll pray and we'll enter a time of communion together. Father, we thank you and we come to you knowing that we don't always love as we ought to love. That we don't always see others within your context, but we view them within the context that our culture has told us to view them. And I pray that you would show us mercy and grace and that we would bring that mercy and grace to our neighbors, to our families, to our coworkers, that we would be a church that says it's not good enough to just have one conversation. That when things get difficult, we would lean into your grace and your mercy. Lord, we love you. We, we give you thanks for showing us through your word, your persistence, and your love for your flock. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.